0: Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. You know, one of the things that has us so excited is our new partnership with J Radio, the brand new Christian and positive music streaming platform. It's where music is for everyone. They got classic Christian music from the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. They have hip-hop, rock, and yes, even Bill and Gloria Gaither. If that's what gets you pumped up, they have Southern Gospel. It's mood music for your next hangout party or your road trip. It's J Radio. Check them out online or download the app here in just a few months.
1: Hello, my name's Justin Spurgeon, and I'm the pastor of Messiah Baptist Church and. I'm very thankful for this podcast and the blessing that it has been to my life. Uh, I started out just as the guys on the program, many of them did. They were born into fundamentalism, and I'm thankful for my upbringing and the uh, blessing that it was to have my parents teach me at home, but also take me to a church that uh, taught me the gospel, and I was saved at a very young age. And as I grew up in the church with my parents taking me there each, each time the doors were open, you know, um, I got saved at six years old. And I'm thankful that I have the assurance of my salvation. But as I went through that time, I was amazed to find out uh, the different churches my parents took me to. We went through a couple church splits, and um, it was a difficult thing to see such anger in the churches that we attended. But after that, the first split we went to, we went to Calvary Baptist Church in Trenton, Georgia. I believe uh, Brother Nathan pastors there in Trenton, and I'm glad to hear of another good or a good church there uh, giving the gospel and putting it out for the people to hear in that community. But in Trenton, Georgia, I went there and went to a very uh, staunch, independent Baptist church. And it was there that I I just got totally bought into it. I thought this is the right thing to do. This is the kind of people I wanted to be as a young person. I surrendered to preach at 13 uh, at a midwinter teen revival that Jack Scott was preaching at. And I bought into everything. I said, I'm going to go to Hiles Anderson College. I'm going to do my best to be trained up in this tradition that... That I'd been raised in, and the story really goes on. I I mean, I was what you'd call the preacher boy for our church, and I I don't want to belittle the church that I went to, but growing up, I began to see some things that I just didn't care for, I knew was not right, but I, I was not courageous enough to stand up for those things, and I decided to keep moving on in that training. Uh, I went to Crown College of the Bible in Powell, Tennessee, uh, Clarence Sexton being the pastor there, and just went through my training, did everything I was supposed to do, and then started after college working a church in Ohio. And I don't want to share the name for that church. They're they're doing their best to honor the Lord and serve the Lord there. I don't want to hurt any people's uh, hearts there, but it was there that I. I really got to put into practice all the things I'd been taught in fundamentalism. And uh, I was the youth pastor, and I remember preaching to those teenagers, all those standards and all those beliefs that had been taught to me down through my raising. And to be honest, I, I, I was very, very zealous about it. I preached about dress standards. I preached about the wrong kind of music. I preached a King James version of the Bible as the only truth for for English-speaking people. I did all of those things, and I, I'm thankful for my time there. It did teach me a lot, but I shudder to think of what I taught those teenagers in my five years of ministry and think of the hurt that it may have caused some of my teenagers for their uh, inability to maintain my standards, and um, thankful that all those teenagers are still in church they're 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 doing right, but I just think of all the time that I spent trying to get them to conform to my standards and to what was being taught in our pulpit. Well, it was through after or after those five years of ministry there that I felt like I was ready to pastor a church and so I took a church here, a Messiah Baptist Church, the church I'm currently pastoring in Franklin, Pennsylvania, and I came in as the pastor and just began doing the very same thing I did as the youth pastor. I told our church of the standards and convictions that I held and really from the pulpit, tried to get them to conform to what I thought a Christian should be. I didn't do a lot of time preaching on the Bible. I I spent some time preaching on standards and and the King James Version, all these things. I did the same thing as a pastor that I did as a youth pastor. But it was in 2017 I, I decided I wanted to start expositorily preaching God's Word And I began with the book of Romans, and very thankful that's where I began, because in that study of the book of Romans, I was able to really dig into God's Word, and it really started to transform my life, because I understood that as a pastor, I need to rightly divide the Word of Truth. I began studying and and reading and, and trying to preach the Bible and not my own beliefs, not my own standards and convictions. And so, it was through that study that I really began to branch out into my influences, and I was greatly helped by a a ministry. Um, I believe the pastor there is Josh Tice in Las Vegas, and he really helped me to begin to question uh, my upbringing, my, my belief system. And of course, I studied through the book of Romans and tried to be truthful to what God's word was teaching me. And as I studied I realized I wasn't being the pastor. I was I wasn't the youth pastor that I should have been because I was trying to force my standards and convictions on people when God's word clearly wasn't clear on those things. And so through that time that personal time of study I decided with my wife that we were going to start from the ground up, understand what we believe, not what we've necessarily been taught in our traditions, because my wife was uh, raised in the same independent Baptist movement. And uh, so we just wanted to question everything, and that's what we did. We took a year of study, a year of searching to find out who we wanted to be the Christians we wanted to be, and how we would lead this church. And at the end of all that, of course, we came to the conviction that we've been wrong. Our doctrine that we have held is right. We believe in God's Word. We believe in all the fundamentals of the faith. But we came to the realization that we really weren't fundamentalists anymore. Um, I came to our church and told them of uh, my feelings, and they were very gracious and understanding. And in the last um, three years, we've done our best to try to change the legalism that has been such a part of my life and part of my preaching and become a church that is Christ-honoring. We say that our church is passionately pursuing God. And with that, we love God and we love people. And we are just doing our best here to continue the ministry of God's Word in the church. We're trying to reach out into our community and show them that God loves them just as they are. And you don't have to meet up to my standard to be a Christian, to be uh, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And, uh, of course, I, I identify with the naming of your podcast, The Recovering Fundamentalist, because that's what I really, truly feel that I am. I'm recovering from a lot of those things that have been taught to me, a lot of the things that I learned at Bible conferences and and uh, youth revivals, all these things, and I'm really desiring to grow in the Lord and to lead my church in a way that we would honor Him in everything that we do, leaving behind a lot of the dress standards and, and the music standards that I so uh, vehemently preached against. Uh, we're just doing our best to honor the Lord. And I just want to say that I'm thankful for the ministry uh, that you all are doing there. I've I've been following uh, Brian Edwards on Twitter a lot, and I've been appreciating a lot of the things he's saying. And it's just been a blessing to see that there is a larger group of people in Christendom that are following the same mindset. I believe there is a silent reformation, not always silent, but a silent reformation going on in fundamentalism as uh, the younger group as myself. I'm only 33 years old. uh, They're coming up into leadership positions, and they are seeking, I believe, to follow God's word rather than man's tradition. And I just wanted to share my story, and I'm thankful for what God is doing in my life, and I pray that he would uh, continue to call out young men, young couples that are leading churches. I pray that he would call them out to following him rather than following the traditions of men and the old paths, as it's been said. I pray that we would follow him above all else. just want to thank you for allowing me to share my story and keep up the good work on the podcast. My wife and I love it. Listen to it together, and it's just been a blessing to us. Thank you very much. You have a good day.
2: Three. You know what makes women stupid is college. Jesus was not
1: a bartender. Two. You have lost your mind. long tongue heifers have given me a lot more trouble than heifers wearing breeches, and you know that. Say amen right like there.
0: One. Let me tell you something, bozo. They'll be seven Frosties in hell for this boy who yes. puts on a pair of pink underwear. Hey, amen. I sucked my thumb when I was 14 years of age. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast. We're your hosts, JC, Nathan, and Brian. Wow, what
3: a story. Justin Spurgeon. Can you believe that? That was good stuff. That was awesome. And with a name like Spurgeon, I mean, how can you not be an amazing pastor?
4: Yeah, and if you think about it, John Calvin, JC, just introduced Spurgeon. (laughs) I mean, that's amazing. Does it get
3: any better than that? We're in heaven right now. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I think both
4: of them need to team up and write a commentary
3: no doubt and and seriously getting back to his story man that guy gets it and yes. honestly Brian we could take what he said change his name for your name and i believe mm-hmm. it's just exactly your story almost down to digging into scripture for himself to passionately following jesus i mean come on
4: yeah it's it's amazing and you know what i what i really resonated with in his story it was the scripture that prompted his exodus from fundamentalism. It wasn't someone else's model. It wasn't the trendy pastor who's doing seeker-friendly ministry, which is what everybody thought had happened in my life. I didn't even know any of those people's names. And yet this guy's saying it was God's word that transformed my life, which that is the power of the word.
3: That is, and also people who underestimate Brian Edwards, they don't know that you are a trendsetter you were cool before it was cool to be cool. You were. You're, you're gracious. Great. You were You were in a conference this week,
0: and I think some of your fans and foes were there, weren't they?
4: Yeah, they actually were. <laughs> you know, it was really cool, though. The, the conference was called Common Ground, and uh, it was based on the text, Our Fellowship is in the Gospel. And what I got to experience this week, Nathan and JC, was really cool because there were guys who were in different places on the spectrum. There were guys who were just starting to poke their head around the corner of the isolated room of fundamentalism that they've mm. been in. Then there were other guys who were all the way down the hallway in, in the room of liberty and freedom. And what was great is on the basis of the gospel, man, there was beautiful fellowship. There was endless conversations. There was guys hugging each other. As a matter of fact, the other night it was pretty cool. I had on a pair of jeans, a pair of new balance tennis shoes and a flannel shirt. And I'm embracing a guy who's in a three piece suit. Yes. With, with, <laughs> with more hair than I, I could imagine of having. And it was just a great moment. Podcast get brought up at all? It actually did. Had several people come up and talk about the way the podcast is ministering to them. And you know what's really cool? People are referring to it as a ministry. Hmm. We're calling it a podcast and an episode. And the people who are talking to me and a lot of the text and messages, that I'm getting that I have been passing on to you guys. Some of those people are referring to as a ministry. I think we don't realize that we are ministering to people as they're making this journey that they thought would be a journey of loneliness. Sure. Absolutely. I mean,
0: when we started, that's what we said we wanted to do is help those that are hurting and minister to those that are coming out of this and find freedom from that and challenge and challenge them, encourage them. (laughs) And I think the biggest thing is that's our heart as pastors. That's what we want to do. And so it's going to go to that place. Hey, Brian, I'm curious if if these girls sang at the conference you were at. Y'all, don't listen to the way they sing it. Listen to the words of what they're singing.
1: <laughs> when they talked about the Holy Bible, she never wondered which one they meant. She knew back then that the old King James was the one that the Lord has sent. No higher criticism or wondering which part was true. She knew that criticizing was just something that all sinners do. <laughs> I still believe like Grandma that you got to be born again. That only the blood of Jesus can wash away your sin. Her good old-time religion is still have good a enough for to me today. <laughs> I still believe like Grandma did, I'm going to stick to the old-time way.
0: Next to her getcha.
1: Back then they thought that shorts were short and no skirts above the knee. They called it indecent exposure instead of Christian liberty. The very least of Christians then even flips more darken the door.
0: I'll oh, just wait
1: this all what you're wearing to get a tan why they'd paint right to the floor blue jeans back then were working clothes just for men like jim or bob girls were trying to get their attention instead of trying to get their job if they had seen a guy with pretty I can't
0: do it. I can't do it no more. We're done. <laughs> That's enough. Did, Did you they hear sing it the third day? Shouting in the background.
4: Oh, they—they they were when shouting. They Queer. Uh, hey, didn't Third Day sing that on their <laughs> farewell,
3: farewell tour? You know what? I was thinking as that was playing. What were the odds of that song being played at J Radio and J One Hundred Three? That's like our new 1 playlist. In Ten billion. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
4: Welcome to the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast.
0: I absolutely love it. That I'm, I'm assuming that was not the music at the conference you were at. This
4: week, no, thank God, it was not. And you know, I got to be honest. I watched that video, and to be honest, for me, it was kind of heartbreaking because yeah, those those kids are being sincere, mm-hmm. and you know, we were all brought up, and we were basically—is it parrots or parakeets that repeat everything they hear? I mean, that's basically what we were doing, and and so they—I mean—they're singing what they've been told to sing and uh yeah yeah my heart was kind of broken to be honest that's
0: true i was reading a blog this week by sheila george that she kind of gave some signs that you're in a legalistic church and uh wondered what y'all's thoughts are on some of this she said you might be in a legalistic church if legitimate questions are formed as faith issues
4: Mm. that was actually brought up at the conference this past week um talking about that idea of if you have a question Or if you question anything, you've just committed sin because you've called into question the man of God. And, of course, we know that everything out of his mouth is truth. Uh, That was actually discussed.
3: Number two is you might be in a legalistic church if there's no room for respectful disagreement. Mm. Surely nobody's like that.
0: I love this quote. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity.
4: Yeah, we've got to love one another, you know, in all circumstances. If you think about it, it's by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. If you love the brethren and, and I, we take these non-essential things and make those the uh, I guess the testimony of salvation. But the testimony of salvation is not non-essentials like haircuts and dress codes and habits and behaviors. But an essential is if, if you don't love one another, first John says, then you're not truly born of God. We've got essentials and non-essentials confused.
0: Yeah. I mean, think about it. Just with this podcast, how many people are disagreeing because they think our platform because the name they won't i i ask people all the time have you listened to the podcast because we get we get a lot of stuff thrown at Mm -hmm. us that we're doing certain things different agendas for this and i'm like well have you listened the problem is i found with most legalistic churches is that there's no room for respectful disagreement you get unfollowed you get blocked you get talked about you know how about this one? You Absolutely. might be in a legalistic church if they define things as sin that are simply differences of opinions. And that's a whole episode right Music.
3: there.
4: Dress code. Right. How about this? Color of dress shirt. Tony yeah. Hudson said, if you are a man of God, you preach in a white shirt. I've heard people
3: say that if you unbutton your suit coat while you're preaching, you're liberal. Really? Not only do you I'll- have to wear a suit, but you have to leave it buttoned.
4: How about this? This past week, I actually heard a guy say, not at the conference, but online. He said that the microphone, you know, that goes over oh, your yeah. ear and comes down—that's a sissy microphone.
3: That's not what I heard. I, not- I heard him say it was a another word for queer.
2: Uh, there is a new trend for us as independent Baptist preachers to utilize the technology of the of the um, uh, the cordless mic that comes down. It's a flesh tone and it comes down like this. I don't want to use one of those microphones. And one of the reasons I don't want to use it's not because I think my ear is going to fall off. I'm not afraid. Listen, I'm not afraid people who are, uh, uh, that, that if I use that, that I'm going to go away from the truth. That's not my issue, but I do look and say, where did you get that? And so what I, what I have done personally is I, I have studied out as I, as I see where that comes from, and, and when it gets into the religious realm, I wanna find out where I see it at. I look at that microphone, I look back at it, I see where it comes from, it comes from Hollywood, it comes from, uh, uh, what's the, Broadway, uh, it comes from, you know, and if you look at those places, let's just look at what they represent. I mean, what does Hollywood represent? You know, most of you think, movies. Okay, let's look at what movies represent. Now let's look at the lifestyle. That the actors and actresses, what what is the message behind that? But I happen to believe that we ought to be different, that we ought to be peculiar, that we ought to have some lines that say, we're just not going to do this. And so, um, you know, I joke around sometimes and call that mic a, a, a name. I'm not going to share it tonight, but it's a name. I call it a sissy mic. Amen. Are you disrespe- are you? Lo- am I losing respect? <laughs> you want me to say it? I call it a faggot mic. A- amen. Uh, a sissy mic. That's what I call it. I- you feel better now? Okay, good. And uh, I-, I know that he would resign tomorrow if I didn't say it. He says, you're compromising what you're doing, Pastor. Yeah.
0: And then, but the, the smug look on his face when he said he said, I'm not going to say this in front of people. And then he said, I guess I'll go ahead and say it. And he was like, I'd be a compromiser if I didn't say that, wouldn't I?
4: Mm. Over a microphone. Yeah, he has a
0: microphone on his lapel. It's it's so. Oh,
4: yeah. But if it's but if it's on your face and it's not on your tie. I mean, JC, come on. You know, you've read that. Oh, I know. I've read that. When Ezra read the law, (laughs) we know that he had a lapel clip on. Yes. And he was using a pulpit. Yeah, that's why the people bowed their heads and raised their hands. If he'd have had on that sissy microphone, nobody would have been blessed.
0: Yeah. As we go into this, what we want to talk about is just legalism. It's it's poisonous, and there's always a balance. And we're to live a holy life, but we're also to be discerning and allow someone else to determine uh, what we are to think and what we are to do and what we're to believe. And it's this this gospel that seems to be forced on us from other people in certain ways, in their ideas, their ideology. And so, in going into Legalism Exposed, uh, this is what we just want to kind of spend our time on and talk about this thing. It's kind of the foundation of why we started this podcast in the first place is to expose legalism that's found in churches these days.
3: Yeah, exactly. And we want to start out this conversation in the scriptures. Mm -hmm. So I want to read a Mm -hmm. scripture and it's not like we are imposing just what we think or our opinions on this. This is dealt with in God's word. And I want us to deal with this. So Galatians chapter five, starting in verse one. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, We ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires
4: of the flesh. I love it. I love the fact that you just took the time to read a whole section of Scripture. You know, Paul in this passage dealing with legalism, I mean, just think about this. It's either we keep the law or it's Christ. It's not a blending of the two. That's impossible. It's either I trust the law, my ability to keep the law, or I trust Christ. And what was happening in this season that Paul was writing in, there were those who were trying to blend law and Christ, and they were they were promoting circumcision, by the way, which I would have to say would be a real deterrent to people being saved, <laughs> but... They they were preaching circumcision, and and Paul says, no, that's, that's the law, and he points them to Christ. Don't you love that? I do love that because Paul is absolutely
3: clear on this issue. This is not something that we really can disagree about. We are not allowed to be legalists as a believer. We're to be defined by love, he lays that out. And were are to walk by the Spirit. One of the big issues that we really need to deal with today is that many pastors and preachers are trying to be the Holy Spirit for their congregation. And yes. the Holy Spirit does not need any help. Yes, we teach the Word. Yes, we encourage people. We equip the saints. But the Holy Spirit can handle the sanctification process in the life of believers. And I'm just going to be honest. It is a messy process. Can you guys agree with that?
4: Oh, yeah. We had a conversation like that this week, and I even made this statement that pastors and preachers attempt to fulfill the role of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit doesn't convict you, I will. If the Holy Spirit doesn't call you to righteousness, I will. And by the way, I determine what righteousness is. Mm. I was talking to a pastor, Nathan, and this is what he said. Now, stop and think about this there was a sin issue instead of the advice being, you know, why didn't you pursue God on this? Why didn't you, why don't you just turn to the word of God? Why don't you turn to prayer? Why don't you turn to yielding the Holy spirit, yielding to the Holy spirit? The conversation was, why didn't you call me? Hmm. I could have taken care of this. I could have handled this. In other words, you know, you didn't need God. You needed me. And I think that goes to uh, confidence in the flesh, which is the opposite of confidence in Christ.
3: Yeah, and we dealt with this early on. Really, we've dealt with this issue throughout the episodes on this podcast. But early on, we defined legalism, and we took a lot of hits, J.C., for this, because uh, people did not like the definition of legalism. And I want to read that. It was a quote by Thomas Schreiner, and he said, Legalism exists when people attempt to secure righteousness in God's sight by good works. Legalists believe they can earn or merit God's approval by performing the requirements of the law. A legalist believes that their good works and obedience to God affects their salvation. Legalism focuses on God's laws more than a relationship with God. It keeps eternal laws without a truly submitted heart, and legalism adds human rules to the divine laws and treats them as divine.
0: And I think you hear that in all three of our stories, that we lived in this world, that Mm -hmm. legalism focused on God's laws. We had to do, do, do in order to earn God's favor, in order to earn God's love. And what we're saying, being a recovering fundamentalist, we're not getting away from the fundamentals of our faith. What we're getting away from is this legalism that traps us in this box of the fact that we're we're in a performance base to earn a relationship
3: with God. And that, to the core, is what legalism is driving us to. One of the things we found out when we started talking about these issues is that people have a real problem with the word legalism. And this is not a word we invented. It's a word that was introduced in 1645. Edward Fisher used it as someone who brings the law into the case of justification— So he's saying that legalism is someone who thinks they can be saved by keeping the law. So we need to define what we're talking about when we say legalism. The first definition of legalism that we're taking is what he was talking about, salvation by the works of the law. And most people in the independent fundamental Baptist world agree that we're not saved by the law, but we're saved by grace. We Mm -hmm. agree on that issue where they're taking issue with us on this, and there have been a lot of comments on Facebook and arguments saying that we're using that word out of context, that word's not even in the Bible, and to that I would say there are a lot of words we use that aren't in the Bible, like rapture and trinity, and yet we still believe in these things. So the first definition of legalism is salvation by the works of the law. The second one is an issue of separation, and this is where rules or standards That affect your standing with God become a sign of true believers. So what we're talking about in the second definition is that these are extra biblical, man made rules or old testament rules that are taken out of context.
4: It's a blending of the old and the new testament. As a matter of fact, that's my greatest grievance with fundamentalism. If someone preaches from the King James Bible and yet they preach the scripture accurately, praise the Lord. If a man wants to preach in a suit and he preaches the text accurately, praise the Lord. You know, there's some things that just aren't important, but it's this dangerous blending of the Old and the New Testament when it's convenient. And so what happens often in fundamentalism is we preach salvation by grace, but then we preach sanctification by works. And the way the blending of the Old and the New Testament happens is, it's it's difficult to know the difference between the two. And I'm not saved because I've put my faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. I know I'm saved because, well, look at the way my hair is cut. Look at the clothes I'm wearing. Look at the things I'm not doing. It's an addition to salvation that affects your standing with God.
3: Yeah, and it's something that we see all the time. And it's not just now. JC, we see this in the Old Testament.
0: You know, in the Old Testament, law is given as a good thing, but I think it's twisted to serve selfish purposes, Um, Sabbaths, tithes, clothes, washings, eatings. There's so many things that become man-made, and that's where legalism slips in.
3: Yeah, and Jesus dealt with that in the New Testament. Uh, That's what he's dealing with with the Pharisees. And so then in the New Testament, we see Jesus talking about them keeping the letter of the law but not keeping the spirit of the law. And like Brian said, they're adding to God's law. They're finding loopholes in what God really meant. But then they're doing things that God never intended in exalting their tradition over God's actual law.
4: You remember um, the Pharisees confronted Jesus after seeing his disciples eat without washing their hands. Now, let's all agree, if people are handling our food, I'd just soon them wash their hands. But you remember the Pharisees came running out from behind the bushes, in, in a sense, and they called Jesus out And this is what they were actually doing. They were holding Jesus accountable, his disciples accountable, to the written law. There had been additions made to the Torah that were oral traditions. And two books had been created. There was Torah, God's Word, and then I think it was Mishnah. There was these written traditions. And so what they did was they held the law of God, the Word of God, and they held these oral traditions in equality with the Word of God. And so you remember they jumped out from behind the scenes and they say, aha, you ate without washing your hands. And how could you break these rules? And Jesus immediately said, how is it you sent against the laws of God?
3: I love the statement that you've made before, Brian, that Jesus wasn't even good enough for the legalist of his day
4: they found fault in him. Think about it. Jesus was sinless perfection. And yet the Pharisees believe they found fault in Jesus. It's amazing.
0: And yet Jesus never broke God's law, but he regularly broke the traditions of the rulers. I mean, I was thinking, I was reading this morning in Mark five, where he healed the man who was by the pool of Bethesda. And then he told him to get up and go and his sins are forgiven. And you know, me and the father are one. So he not only healed on the Sabbath, but he, you know, he, he didn't care what, people thought in certain ways. And a lot of legalism is think, is worrying about what other people think about you. Jesus didn't care. He healed on the Sabbath. He claimed that he and God are one, I am and he, he is in me kind of thing. Yeah. And I love that because he didn't break God's law, but he broke the tradition of that day. Exactly.
4: Well, you know, one of the things that was actually written in that oral tradition, by the way, it was hundreds of rules. Oh yeah. No wonder, no wonder, the sad, Sadducees were sad. They were trying to—they were sad, you see. They were trying to keep all those rules. That was really bad. That's a Baptist <laughs> joke. Six hundred thirteen rules. One of the laws in that written tradition was that you couldn't spit on the ground on the Sabbath day. You had Spitteth. to spit on a—you had to, <laughs> you had to spit on a rock. Because if you spit on the ground, it could make an indention in the dirt. If a seed happened to blow into that indention, be watered by your spit, and a plant were to start to grow, that would have been considered gardening or planting on the Sabbath day. So we think rules now are silly. Think about that.
3: Exactly. And one of the things I learned about legalism growing up that we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament is that legalism is not sustainable. Mm -mm. It either Mm. makes you incredibly proud or it breaks you down and you just give up because you actually realize in reality that you cannot keep all of those things. One of the craziest stories I've ever heard, and this makes me laugh. Someone actually preached on this when I was a kid, and I never forgot it. Those who were uncircumcised were not allowed to enter into the temple or into a certain court. They could go into a certain place, but they couldn't go past that. So there were actually guys there, men who I don't know how they got picked for this job, but they were the circumcision inspectors. What? They actually had to – you had to lift your robe up, and they had to Worst prove in the world. that you were circumcised before you could go – this is what legalism does. Before you could go into the temple, you had to be checked.
4: Uh, that would have <laughs> been a micro-episode. That would have made <laughs> dirty jobs had micro been alive then
0: I would not go to the temple and that's what we're finding in today is so many people and we've talked about this and we've played stories on what here a great point so many people want nothing to do with church because of legalism how many stories have we heard over these last few months since we've been doing this of folks that just turn church off they turn Jesus off they turn all this off because of legalism they can't keep up with the rules because there's so
3: much added to the scripture that they just don't want anything to do with it yeah so we see in the Old Testament legalism is dealt with over and over and over again. Then we see in the New Testament it's dealt with. And then when we get to the writings of Paul, which are in the New Testament, the writings of Paul, as I've already read, Paul dealt with this extensively. And Paul did not take this lightly. He actually said he wished that people who were forcing legalism on other people would emasculate themselves.
4: Brian, that's pretty serious. Well, they were emasculating the faith, Mm. and Paul took that seriously. Uh, You know, there's another text where it says, if anyone preaches another gospel, let them be accursed, and the word accursed is anathema. Mm -hmm. Let them be eternally separated from God. So preaching the gospel of legalism, God holds that serious because you actually are erasing the effectiveness of of the message of the grace of God. Exactly. It's sad.
3: Yeah, he says you make the cross of none effect. Everything that Jesus did, you are nullifying it, that you are just doing away with everything that Christ did, all of his work on the cross for salvation. You're saying that you need to add something to that. How arrogant is that?
4: Well, you know, grace grace is invisible. Now, grace produces a visible love for Jesus and a visible love for others. But think about it. Legalism makes the faith measurable. Legalism says, mm. I'm saved. Look at my haircut. Yeah. I'm saved. Look at the translation I'm carrying. I'm saved. Look how far my skirt you know, is below my knee. We we make this measurable. And yet, Nathan, I just wanted to read this very quickly. The fruit of the Spirit. So this is what the Spirit does in us. I heard, a, I heard a pastor preach a little while back, and I couldn't help it, JC. I laughed. He said, you need to work and have more of the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> well, that's the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. This is what the Spirit does in us. This is not what we can do in ourselves. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such there is is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and Mm. desires. Mm. It's the Spirit's work in us. And look at the things the Spirit of God produces in us. And there's no mention of haircut there. There's no mention of Southern gospel music without drums. There's no mention of any of those things. And yet what we do is we take legalism and we say, you need the Spirit's work and.
3: Yes. And Paul, when he deals with this, he says that it is powerless to deliver from sin. He says that the law was a temporary measure until the coming of Christ. Then he goes on to say that it is not only fruitless to be continuously attached to the law, but it's dangerous since the law demands total obedience and no one is capable of that except Christ and he already did it. So law observant is is futile and it's fatal and Mm. it's a substitute for faith in Christ, and it changes the gospel, and that's our real issue. It is another gospel.
0: Yeah, I I believe it's distorting God's truth. It's clouding his grace, and when we're living out our faith, I think that ultimately what it comes down to in each one of us, and our stories, our actions changed when our character was transformed to grace away from mm-hmm. this legalistic mindset. I think a legalistic focus was on others, mm-hmm. what other people thought about us, what other people did. We've talked about that. Uh, our, our legalism went away when we stopped worrying about the actions of what man's approval of that was. That was a change of character in those ways. And I think when it ultimately comes down to it, the change of character in us through finding out what real grace was like when we discovered grace. Nate, you sang a song that I can remember, were it not for grace, I can't tell you where I'd be wandering down some pointless road with my own salvation left up to me. Legalism is so miserable because we're striving to earn our salvation. We're trying to do enough where Paul is saying, hey, it's not about what you're doing. It's about being done in the gospel, being found there and knowing that there's real life in him.
4: And one of the things that really bothered me, JC, as an evangelist son, I saw how often legalism forces you into hypocrisy mm. because the standard changes everywhere. So yeah. there were some weeks, you know, my mom wore a different color lipstick. Some weeks she didn't wear lipstick at all. Some weeks, you know, we were we were Southern gospel singers who, who loved the whole of Southern gospel. And then other weeks, you know, I didn't have the bass guitar up yeah. on the platform and dad was just playing the piano. My grandma, when I was young, she used to, my great grandma, she used to make quilts. And these quilts were made out of different patches of fabric. None of it really matched, but she put it all together to form one quilt. And that's kind of like legalism. You know, it's, it's just some of this and some of that, and the rules change from varying camps and circles. Yeah. And that's what I love about the truth of the Bible. It's always consistent. You cannot please Jesus through man's legalism. You'll be the most confused human being in the world. So that's why we preach, run to the cross of Christ, being dwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, and he will transform your life by his grace. That's true.
0: And I think what you just said is so important to, because legalism confuses. And God is not the author of confusion. And I think there's been so many times where there's teaching and preaching coming around that you're so confused. What are they really trying to say? That's an incredible mm. point.
3: Yeah, so let's, let's clear it up once and for all. Acceptance by God is possible only through faith mm. in Christ crucified.
4: I love it. Paul it's clearly
3: good. says that in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works.
0: That's right. And you know, I think too many times what legalism teaches, they don't realize they're actually in line with the Mormon church in certain ways because after pastoring in Utah for three years, they they take that verse. For by grace are you saved through faith, but they add to it, but only after you've done all you can do, which is what legalism is. God's going to save me by grace through faith, but I've got to do my good works. And Nate, what you just read is so
3: important. Yeah. And God's standard is perfection. Christ fulfilled that He purchased our righteousness on the cross. He paid our penalty. We are saved in him. We can't boast about anything. That is God's grace. It's a gift, and we receive it from him. But there's two ditches on each side of this doctrine of grace. Yes. The ditch on one side is legalism, where we say, okay, I've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus, but I need to maintain this. I need to add to it with my good works, and that means that I have to listen to the right kind of music, and the pastor gets to define what that is, or the movement gets to define what that is. I have to have my hair a certain length. My wife has to wear certain kind of clothes. I have to go to the right camp meetings, and on and on and on down the list. But then on the other side of this issue of grace is license, where you could just, oh, I'm saved by grace through faith, so I can do anything I want to.
0: I have my get-out-of-hell-free card.
3: Exactly. And yeah. so I can... Fire insurance. Yeah, I can watch <laughs> any movie I want to. I can go to any show I want to. I can go get drunk on the weekends and stumble into church the next morning. And Love wins. Praise God for grace. Love rent wins Bob, Rob yeah. Bell. Exactly. So you have this issue on each si- these issues on each side of grace, legalism and license, and the... People that we are accusing of being legalists because we are challenging people in this mindset and they don't like it. So they're accusing us of being on the side of license that we're just saying you can do whatever you want to. And that is absolutely Mm -hmm. not what we're saying.
4: No, God transforms us. Can, Can I just be honest? What legalism comes down to is this. Do we really believe that God is able to carry out the Romans 8:29 work of conforming us into the image of his son. The legalist says, I don't trust God with that work. So what I'm going to do is help him and I'm going to conform you into what I believe the image of his son is. What we're saying is, if any man's in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things become new. There's going to be life change that's prompted by Christ, and we're going to be conformed into the image of his son, that's the work that takes place. Yes, that's going to make us look different. We don't have license, but we do have liberty in that we trust God that his work's going to be carried out in our lives. That's good.
0: Guys, let's talk about some of the extra biblical man-made rules or Old Testament rules that are taken out of context. Let's let's highlight some of those things because we've been setting it up good, but let's, let's bring it home and talk about what some of those things are. Uh, IFB, uh, how about clothing, hair, music? Better, you know, we have versions that are better than other versions of the Bible where if you teach from something other than the perfect version of the King James Version, uh, your version is perverted because it's not the perfect Bible. Uh, preaching styles, emotionalism, old-time way. Let's hit on some of those things.
3: So let's talk about clothes. Yeah. I heard it quoted in a sermon this week by a pastor from the Old Testament that a woman shall not wear anything that pertaineth unto a man. That's why women can't wear pants. Talk about that, Brian.
4: The thing that offends me about that is the guy who's preaching that has on a silk tie, (laughs) a cotton shirt, (laughs) a polyester wool blend suit, cotton socks, and hopefully cotton or silk And explain why that matters. And a lapel microphone. Because a, a, few, <laughs> verses, <laughs> a few verses uh, following that passage, they were forbidden to wear mixed fabrics or blended fabrics. As a matter of fact, I think it's in the next verse there that the Bible even talks about the way you handle a bird nest. Mm. When's the last time you heard that preached on? Um, what's really sad is, again, it's cherry-picking Old Testament standards written to a specific community of people at a very specific time, and it's using that to to leverage your philosophy, your theology. Um, you know, there was there was false god worship back then. One of the temples, the priestesses would actually dress in male military attire. Don't wear that. That's don't worship false gods. Don't look like those people who are carrying out that false worship. But when you want to just start contorting Scripture, I mean, we could take the account of Judas and almost promote suicide and use the Bible to do it. it. It's sad.
3: Yeah, when you take Scripture out of context, you can teach just about anything you want to. I have a point that I've been wanting to bring up. I believe personally, and you guys can challenge me on this, or, or maybe you agree, I believe that a lot of these issues, like women wearing pants, men having long hair, listen to contemporary music with guitars and drums in it, uh, versions of the Bible. I think a lot of these things came out of very good motives. For example, let's go back to the 20s or the 30s. All women wore dresses, except for a few in Hollywood or somewhere like that who were making a statement, extreme feminism against God, against the Bible, and they were the ones who started wearing pants, and so I can see how a preacher in a little Baptist church in the South would say, girls, why are y'all trying to be like these people? But then when we turn that into this is equal with the Bible, that's a problem. Then, you know, guys having long hair. There's a time in American culture where that just really wasn't accepted, and then, you know, it it gets added to the list of things we have to
4: perform. Well, the big problem with that is, where that leads once, once you are out of the text, then, then you're literally, you know, like my dad's hound dogs, you know, they're running a coon and sometimes they run a track that is a, a coon. And sometimes they run a track that's a possum. <laughs> mm. And there, there's a lot of guys who are possum hunting and they don't even realize it. I was at, um, I was at a camp meeting in Resaca Georgia. <laughs> and, um, and I'll never forget this service where it started out Women aren't to wear anything that pertains to a man. And it was some of you, some of you girls in here, you've been sneaking and wearing pants and you keep them in the trunk of your car. And when your mom and dad's not around, you put those on. You need to run to this altar right now. Well, there were some girls who went down and that emboldened the guy who was preaching. And then he got on lip gloss and then he actually got on culottes that were too short And then it was open-toed shoes because, you know, you're wearing sandals or you're wearing open-toed shoes and some perverted foot fetish guy out there is (laughs) you're, you're forcing him to lust. And this is no kidding. This went on. This invitation on the basis of those things went on for 45 minutes. JC, it was so pitiful. There were girls up at the front, and they would stand up. I'm talking about face wet with tears. God's really convicted me tonight, and I'm going to give up my culottes. One girl came and laid her lip gloss on the altar. Mm. It, It was insanity. And that's
3: what I was talking about, motives. They have great motives. They think they're doing the right thing. My mom shares a story of where she believed at one point that she had to quit wearing pants, and she made a vow to God, and to this day she won't wear blue jeans because she feels like she's bound to that. Now she knows that... That was taken out of context, and she also knows where the people who were preaching that at her are at. They've left the faith or or went sideways. So it starts with a good motive, but you said it, Brian, when we get out of the text, when Scripture stops defining what it means to be a Christian and a man begins to define that or a tradition begins to define that, we get into trouble.
4: The only thing I would say differently, are their motives good? That's what I was going to ask. Or is control addictive? Because think about it. Why is it the men get to look normal? Why is it you see the guys in restaurants and they have on a regular polo shirt and a pair of jeans and a pair of tennis shoes? Uh, I I think fulfilling the role of God and determining what is sin and what is not, having other people live in subjection to you and you having authority over them, I think that's intoxicating. And so the only thing I would say differently, and JC, I want you to pick up on that, is I would question their motives.
0: Yeah, I'm sitting in that same Rasaka. Camp meeting, if you will. Uh, I had a young man that was a youth leader. We had a girl show up to youth groups. It was one of my first youth groups, and she was 15, 16 years old, pregnant. He said, Hey, you, you can't be part of this. You're a bad influence on these young people. I was like, What are you doing? And it, because he was a creature of the culture, that she was a bad influence on them. So I said, Hey, I want you to show up tomorrow in a pair of jeans, flip flops, and a t shirt. I'm going to take you somewhere. We went to Rasaka, and there was a gentleman standing up there preaching. The the motives of of control for 45 minutes he preached on calling ladies whores because they were wearing pants in the house of God and he was preaching hell so hot. In quotes, I'm preaching hell so hot the other day. I preached this whore right out of service, and my blood started boiling. I looked at him <laughs> and said, "We we can't sit here any longer." We got up to leave, and from the pulpit, this man says, "Looks like I'm preaching two homosexuals out of the service right now." And I wheeled around. I don't know what it was. I said, "Man, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. You're not preaching the Bible. You're preaching your ideas and control over these ladies." And all I know is this homosexual and that homosexual. We're out of here, and we got <laughs> up and left. And I thought about it after I got in the car. I was like, "Man, I just called myself homosexual," but there is a I don't know if that's necessarily out of, out of good motive. He knows his, I don't think their
4: motives. I don't think their motives are right. He knows
0: his crowd. He knows what to say to get them fired up. And so he's going to continue to yell that.
4: Well, the Pharisees were threatened by Jesus because Jesus did defy their book of man-made laws. What did they do? They crucified him. Why did they crucify him? Because they were obsessed with power.
3: Yeah, and I agree with both of you guys. I don't think all the motives are clean and pure now. I believe that some of these started with good motives. Yes. For example, in the 50s or 60s when the new version started exploding, and let's just be honest, conservative Christians were fighting against liberalism. And the whole fundamentalist mm-hmm. movement started when people started saying, and this has gone on since the time of Christ, but people boldly started saying, and it began to spread into the churches, that Christ really wasn't God, that, you know, he really wasn't born of a virgin. He really didn't have to shed his blood and raise from the dead and all that. So they came up with these fundamentals. And so the fundamental crowd was old school, old fashioned. They're holding on to the old time ways. And then these new versions start coming out. And a lot of them were bad versions. I'll just Mm -hmm. say it. There are a lot of versions that are not good versions. They're not faithful to the original text, or they're bad paraphrases, which is totally different than a version, and we can talk about that later. But I know a lot of these guys, and a lot of the ones that I grew up under, and my dad, who were not willing to join in the modernists and grab these new versions of the Bible, and I believe a lot of their motives We're true and pure, but then we get another generation that comes along, and instead of thinking it through and dealing with the issue uh, from an honest perspective, they just begin to spout out what they've always heard and yell and scream about that. So I think it could start with negative motives, or or start with good motives, and then turn into something that's self-serving. Yeah,
4: Here's what I think the difference is, Nathan, and I agree with everything you just said. I think living by that... Can be the result of good motives. Lording through that is not a good motive. You are. Exactly I agree with you. True. Right. There are a lot of people who lived by it, and man, they were great people. I mean, how can we not say those? You know, those old grannies who wore the dresses down to their ankles, and man, they would pray, and 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 you know, they would seek God. They were faithful to God. They were faithful to their husbands. They were living in submission to the Bible, and yet a lot of the people who lorded over them in a way that made them believe that they were enslaved by that system of rules, maybe their motives weren't right. That's true.
0: I mean, let's take an example like just camp meetings, tent meetings. Mm -hmm. I, I heard a sermon the other day that said what sets fundamentalism apart is camp meetings, tent meetings. That's who we are. It's what we do. So in that regard, okay, they think a tent meeting, if you were to set a IFB tent revival up and a charismatic tent revival up right next to each other, they would kind of look the same except tongues. Yeah. And when that started, then they would start preaching against each other. Well, they're not really getting the real salvation and they're not really getting the real salvation because charismatic tongues is a sign of salvation where fundamentalism at the heart is Pentecostalism without tongues. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yes.
4: Yes. You know, JC, and to look at that through the lens of, of legalism in our region, there was actually a young girl who was at a Pentecostal meeting, and you know the proof of salvation is you're you're baptized with fire, you you speak in tongues. The girl actually went forward to be saved. When she went forward to be saved, uh, a group of ladies came up around her, and they were they were prompting her to speak in tongues, and the young girl just couldn't. <clears throat> And so they were they were calling on God to, to pour it on her, to save her, to, to evidence that by speaking in tongues. And the young lady just couldn't. She actually went home and took her life because she believed that God wouldn't save her. Wow. Think about that.
3: I have people that attend my church that came because they were pointed out from the pulpit saying that if you want to work in this church you will speak in tongues and you will show the outward external signs and these are some of the best people i know mm-hmm. and love jesus love the word of god and they had even prayed and said lord if this is something that you want to do in me and you know then i'll i'll do it i'll follow you but i'm not going to fake right. it and do it and they were even prompted to fake it yeah. and just get mm. get on board with the show
0: I think we talk a lot about the IFB because that's our background here. But legalism is found in every denomination. Um, I mean, True. in Pentecostalism, there's a lot in the Pentecostal Church of God Church. There's a lot of legalism. I dated a girl years ago uh, who picked picked me up. We we're going to sing for a homecoming service and said, "Hey, just to let you know, when you start your verse, I'm gonna I'm gonna help Daddy out." Her dad was the pastor of the church, and she said, "I said, how are you gonna help him out?" She said, "I'm gonna speak in tongues." I said, "Well, you can plan when the Spirit moves in that <laughs> moment." I'm a Baptist boy. I didn't have a clue what tongues were and she said yeah and she said you can you could do it too if you want and I was like what are you what are you talking about I mean all I know is take an offering and shout amen you know I didn't know what I mean she said well I have a little saying that sometimes I'll do Shana tied a bow tie ronda bada honda my shin on my knee on my lega and I was like, wait a second, what did you just say? Shana Tida tie, Ronda Bada Honda, my Shinna my Malega. So I'm up there. I start the second verse. In his presence, there is joy beyond all measure. And she falls out. Woo! Shana Tadabotai, Ronda Bada Honda, my And I was like, wait a second. What what is happening right now? But then the then her dad stands up and says, Hey man, I want to tell you what the Lord is saying through my daughter. I was like, I know what he's saying. Shauna tied a bow tie. Rhonda bought a Honda. Her (laughs) Shinna, her Nia, her Lega. But he gave this big, long ordeal of what it was. And I was like, my goodness, it's so fake in this moment. Just like we have faked so much
3: stuff in the IFB world, this is something that was very fake in this world. It's something that threatens Christianity. It doesn't matter which branch you are in. And I'm right in the center of a holiness county. where holiness churches are all over the place. And I can't tell you how many of the teenagers and young adults have come to me broken, upset about what they've seen behind closed doors in their homes where they know their parents aren't living holy lives. And yet it's being forced on them and being uh, demanded of them.
0: Have y'all heard about the Bible that's producing oil? Yes, let's talk about that. What? So the, in Dalton, for the last two years, there has been this Bible that is producing oil and they have been using our building for the church that I pastor at. We we own a historical theater downtown Dalton. And so we have an agreement with the city that anybody can use our building during the week. And so what they have done is there are people, Brian, from Virginia. There's people from Pennsylvania. There was three van loads of Amish people that came down from Pennsylvania because the attraction is this Bible that is producing oil. What they said is that the Bible – starts producing it and they put it in this big Tupperware and that it fills up and they give these vials out and it's holy oil. Well, just this week, it was debunked because somebody, Times Free Press, got a hold of it and ran a story and said it's mineral oil. Somebody came out that he was buying mineral oil from the tractor supply company. They shut down. The Bible magically stopped producing the oil. But what you see in that moment was legalism on such a grand scale. There were hundreds and hundreds of people coming from all over the world. Thousands of people. To see. They have given over 350,000 vials of this oil. Mm-hmm. There are people on their deathbed think they're going to come come. come back to life because of this oil
3: giving it or were they selling it drinking it rubbing
0: it on their head they never sold it that was one thing they said the bible would continue to produce oil as long as they never sold it but what this week what we're finding is all of these people the bible became the god Mm. the bible producing the oil became the miracle not the god of the miracle he could make living animals come out of that bible if he wanted to But what Mm -hmm. happened was the oil became the golden calf.
3: It's an idol. It it is. And I think just like they made that a legalism. That reminds me of the story of the crucifix that began crying in South America and— Years later they discovered after millions of people had come through and kissed it and and touched it and they'd made this big deal out of it, they found out that a toilet was leaking and it was sewer (coughs) water that was running down the crucifix and dripping off and people from around the world had been coming in. Yeah. Just Oh, it's crazy. uh, Go ahead, Brian.
4: I couldn't hardly hear anything you just said because I'll tell you what legalism was making horses pull that van all the way from Pennsylvania (laughs) to Georgia. Now, that is legalism. They rode in
0: vans. They rode in vans.
4: (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, they made the horses pull the vans. That's sad. (laughs) Um, You know, just this past week, uh, someone let me hear a video of uh, some guy named John Hamblin. I don't know him, but he's preaching, you know, that everybody who's saved has an amen button. And he literally (laughs) preached on the things that, you know, press my amen button. And he said this. He said, if you are saved, your amen button is standard equipment. And, you know, everybody is looking for some outward sign. If the power of the Holy Spirit living in you and transforming your life is not enough, then let's be honest. We're chasing meaningless things. Solomon said he was chasing wealth. And at the end of it, all he had was a fistful of air. And that same thing is true. When we chase anything other than the truth, when we chase anything other than the truth of the gospel, when we chase anything other than the truth of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, we end up with a handful of air. It's just all empty.
3: So let's take this issue of legalism to its natural conclusion. I believe the proper term is the reductio ad absurdum. Let's run this out to its fullest Mm. extent. Where do you go as a legalist, when you keep adding these rules and adding these rules, does it not seem like just by standard logic, the Amish would be a lot more holy than the independent Baptist because they have more rules? I mean, is that not where this leads us, that whoever has the most rules, the guy who goes and becomes a monk and just stops wearing clothes and stops talking to people and only eats grasshoppers and drinks rainwater, is that not the most holy person? Is that not where that leads us?
4: Man, there's a monk who does that.
0: I mean, you are uh, going to Nepal, so maybe you'll get up in the mountains yes, and become yes. that monk. You know,
4: it, the truth is, once you start chasing that, it doesn't end. And what's sad is, Nathan, think about this. Think about the people who never experience the joy of salvation because daily they're falling short of keeping the rules. And they lay down at night and their prayers are always prayers of sorrow and brokenness and repentance. And they don't know what it is to have a true relationship with Jesus because they are held captive by the legalisms and the rules are endless. I mean, they can go on and on and on. And then there's so many loopholes and there's so many divisions about the rules. And then the thing is that confuses me is there's the one guy who's supposed to be the champion of fundamentalism. And he doesn't look like any of the other fundamentalists, but yet he's carrying the baton right now in the lead. So everybody's following along behind him. The whole thing is just confusing.
3: Yeah, and the thing about trying to keep laws is it makes us proud the better we are at it. And the Mm -hmm. further we try to run down that track, the more arrogant we become. And one of the marks of a true Christian is humility because grace does not allow for boasting. And when you truly get grace, you don't brag about all the laws that you keep. You start crying because you know that there's nothing you could do to earn God's favor, and yet he still loves you. So I believe there are people out there that are just fighting this uphill battle, or they've quit and they've walked away from the God that loves them and cares for them and is offering them grace, not a big rule book. And I want to call those people to come back to Christ. We're all sinners. We're all broken. We're all a mess. And we need Jesus, and Jesus is available for you. And I believe he's calling some people back into a real relationship with him, and he wants to show you what grace is all about. It's not about a list of rules. Yes, Christians do live lives that look different, Mm. but they're not lives defined by rules. They're lives defined by love. I mean— are
0: we saying there's no standard for living? No, we're saying there no. is, that we're defined by who we are in Him. And that's what it's called to do. We got asked this question this week, you know, that we are still called to walk godly in the world. He said, Aren't we called to be a peculiar people? What's our definition of that? And we have to go to 1 Peter 2 9, that this is where it is. We're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His possession so that we can proclaim the praises of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light.
4: It comes down to this. Do we believe that Jesus is a, a capable shepherd? In Psalm 23, he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yeah. Think about it. Legalism leads us in the paths of tradition for our namesake.
3: Yeah, and getting back to the writings of Paul, he lays this out, and this is where we started out. In Galatians 5, verse 17, he said, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. This is a fight and a struggle that all Christians have, and we're called to put on the armor of God and to fight. He goes on, he says, For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. If people want to preach against sin, here's a list of sin that you can preach against. Stop preaching against guys yeah. wearing earrings and tattoos and guys with long hair and girls in pants. This, these are the works of the flesh. He spells it out, Galatians 5, 19. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Is that not where we need to stay in Scripture in the text
4: notice sin produces actions the spirit produces attributes
3: hmm. wow good. it's
4: completely different
3: why don't you dig into that a little bit Brian what do you mean um,
4: sin is is what we do Christians that's who we are Christ followers that's who we are and so Christ is producing in us Christ likeness I live that out in the attributes of Christ, through the characteristics of Christ. You know, the Bible talks about putting off the old man and putting on the new man. And then you start reading through those characteristics, they're Christ like. So here's the thing I'm not trying to be a Christian, I am a Christian. And because I am a Christian, not what I do, who I am is changing. And when who I am changes, then what I do changes. So we're not
3: working for acceptance. We're working from From acceptance. Yeah. God has accepted us in Christ who paid the penalty for our sins. And we are loved and we have the spirit of God dwelling in us and we are in the process of sanctification and we are growing. Yes, it is a messy, messy process, but we are to be defined by love and the attributes of God, not the actions that we work up. So this whole issue of legalism, it just comes down to this. What are you trusting in today for your salvation? Are you trusting in how good of a Christian you are? Are you trusting in your own works before or after salvation? Or are you humbly walking according to the Spirit of God and loving one another and serving one another?
4: I love that. That was beautiful. Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. So every single day, the focus of the Christian life is I need to love Jesus today. And if I love Jesus, I'll be obedient to him. And if I love Jesus, I'll love other people. Isn't that great? It just comes down to that.
3: That is. And Brian, it doesn't sound like you're teaching license. It doesn't sound like you're teaching that, hey, we're free from the law, so now we can just do anything we want to do.
4: I think that's the opposite of New Testament Christianity.
3: Exactly. It's a ditch on the other side of grace. Just because mm-hmm. we're not legalists doesn't mean we've crossed over that. We can still focus on God's grace.
0: It's good. It's been a good conversation. There's so much more that we could do, but let's wrap it up with that right there. And uh, we want to thank you for listening to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Hey, let us know how this is setting with you, what your thoughts are on this. Shoot us an email, get on social media. You can call us, uh, go to our website, recoveringfundamentalist.org, and uh, let us know uh, that you have some thoughts, some opinions on this. Maybe you agree with us or disagree with us, whatever it is. We know there's plenty of those. We would love
3: to have that conversation with you. Sure. We're having a lot of them.
0: And let us know uh, as we continue to... uh, break this down. Hey, we also want to thank our sponsor J Radio uh, who is now an exciting brand new Christian and positive music streaming platform uh, that has music for everyone and uh, we would love for you to check J Radio out. You can find them online at J Radio. Just search in Google J Radio. Download the app in your app store for Android and iPhone and uh, be sure to find them there. Guys, I love you. It's a great conversation and uh, I'm excited to see as we continue to move forward to expand expose legalism. Good conversation today, fellas. Yes, sir. We'll see you next time.